Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. We are here. We are live. It is soccer morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope your hope your week is going well so far. Hope you're checking out the Gold Cup. Uh, obviously, lots of Gold Cup talk uh, going on in the world today. Not to mention some of it related to the United States of America. We're going to get to that. Some of it related to um, Canada. We're going to talk about Canada today. Kevin Laramie is going to join us on this program to talk about why Canada could not score a goal over three matches. Three matches, zero goals. That's the problem. That's a problem. And I'm having technical problems over here. Kind of forgot about something. Yeah. We um hit yeah we are we are here we are live I know you guys didn't hear the music I apologize for that <laughs> settings didn't get switched over here there we go now I know what's going on thank you very much producer <laughs> Trevor's trying to inform me of my issues yes uh we have fixed that problem we will uh, we'll be fine uh, let's do the headlines this morning ahead of Kevin Laramie coming up in just a couple of minutes uh, starting with the L A Times reporting that the deal between the Galaxy and Giovanni dos Santos is in fact done. As a matter of fact, we've got direct quotes from Chris Klein and Bruce Arena of the LA Galaxy as it relates to Giovanni Dos Santos joining the team. It's going to be a challenge for him, Bruce Arena told the Times. He's not been at a club yet where he's had these those kinds of responsibilities. And he's in a community where he's going to be sought after. He's going to have to be mature about it. This is absolutely 100% true. The 26-year-old Dos Santos now takes a step up. He's always been he's always been a medium fish in bigger ponds. Now he's going to be the biggest fish certainly in popularity in a relatively smallish pond. Let's not be let's not be uh, dense about this. MLS and the Galaxy pretty small pond when you compare that to Villarreal 
or Tottenham Hotspur. But again, he had Tottenham Hotspur and at Villarreal, he's sort of just another player. I mean, perhaps a talented player, but not a player with massive expectations. Not a player who will be the Beatles of that league, for lack of a better description. When he arrives in L.A., it's going to be mass hysteria. Now, I know a lot of Mexican national team fans are not happy with Dos Santos making this move, but I think in the end it's actually going to benefit him, certainly going to benefit MLS and the team. I think it'll benefit Mexico. Speaking of signings, speaking of 26-year-olds, speaking of, uh, well, what was supposed to be big-time attacking talent, Freddie Du officially signed with the Tampa Bay Rowdies yesterday. Again, 26 Back to the United States, just fresh off a of stint in Finland. What what division was that in Finland? Was it the third or fourth or fifth? fifth? DC United, Real Salt Lake, Benfica, Monaco, Belenenses, Eris, Kaiko Rishaspor, sorry, Turkish people, Philadelphia Union, Bahia, Tegadina, KUPS, however you say that. Tampa Bay Rowdies. And there's a lo- another loan in there. Apparently he went on loan in Finland. I didn't even know about that. For three games. What do you do? 26 again. 26 years old. Just turned 26 last month. With an opportunity to um, to rehabilitate his career under the former coach. Uh, under a former coach. A man who coached him with the USU-20s and got a lot out of him. Mr. Thomas Rangi. We've had Thomas on the show. Perhaps we can... Grab Thomas in the near future to talk about this decision to sign Freddie Adu and what Freddie brings to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Clearly, he's a name. He's got to be more than a name if he's going to actually deliver on the field, even in NASL. By the way, do not use the don't do not say much to do about nothing. Do not say that. I said it. Do not say it. Stop it, people. Stop it. It's over. Much to do about nothing is over. Turn out to the Gold Cup results from yesterday. Jamaica beating El Salvador 1-0. Bit of a smashing grab from Jamaica. El Salvador, the better team in that game. Jamaica scoring against the run of play. Uh, but now they are uh, they are the group winners, if I'm not mistaken. I had this up in front of me, and then I went and checked Freddie Adu's long list of teams, and I seem to have lost it. Jamaica in Group B, yes, they have one Group B over, well, yeah, over Costa Rica, who's on three points. Sorry about that. Costa Rica finishes in second. They get a 0-0 draw with Canada. Again, Canada, who can't score a goal. Uh, and now they move on to the knockout rounds as well in the bottom half of the bracket or the other side of the bracket from the United States. Everyone to uh, determine that. The United States right now still waiting to to find out who they're going to play the finisher the third place finisher uh in group B or C looks like that's going to be either El Salvador and then we have group C games tonight Trinidad and Tobago placing playing Mexico that the winner of that game will have uh, will win the group Guatemala and Cuba at the bottom half of that so Guatemala and Cuba and Cuba still in this despite the fact they've been a disaster in the tournament so far haven't scored a goal themselves they still have a chance if they can beat Guatemala to jump into third place and move on to the knockout rounds. So there you go. Steven Gerrard has made his Galaxy debut. That happened last night. I was keeping track of the Gold Cup while at the same time maybe taking a peek in on the U.S. Open Cup, the Galaxy in Utah to play Real Salt Lake. 
Uh, Gerard came on in the second half, played up pretty, played pretty high in the uh, Galaxy formation, higher than you would have ever seen him with Liverpool. And and uh, obviously the Galaxy cannot score a goal, and they lose to the RSL one nothing out of the U.S. Open Cup. That is no skin off of Bruce Arena's nose, certainly. So we will see. How, Gal- how the Galaxy choose to use Steven Gerrard, especially now with Giovanni Dos Santos, who expects to join, they expect to join the team at the beginning of August, certainly post-Gold Cup. And uh, you would imagine that, that Mexico will be involved in the Gold Cup for pretty much the full dur- duration of that tournament. All right, let's take a break. You getting it now? You're getting it now, right? The better? Yeah. Things are all fixed, I think. All right, soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Talking to Kevin Laramie. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. This Saturday, the U.S. men's national team will play in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and will be two steps away from reaching the final for the sixth consecutive tournament. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me as I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions during the game live on Rabble.tv. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Will Jurgen Klinsmann be able to get this U.S. team firing in all cylinders again? Find out this Saturday, July 18th at 5 p.m. Eastern, and cheer on the red, white, and blue with me, live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Joined now on the telephone by our friend Kevin, Kevin Laramie from up in, up in Canada. It's actually on Skype and uh, Kevin's with us. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing tonight? Uh, today, today, tonight. It was today, a rough night for Canada, so today. It's today, just... if, if, you did, if you were so distraught with Canada's performance in the Gold Cup that you stayed up all night, it probably still feels like night to you. Uh, 50-50% of the reality. It's uh, That's how I feel this morning. It's uh, a little bit uh, disheartening, a little bit hopeful when you listen to Benito Flores' comment after the game. But at the end of the day, it still stings. What, what, how, how, did, how is it possible that Benito Floro made uh, sent a, a hopeful message after Canada went uh, the full length of the tournament without scoring a goal? I don't understand that. I'll literally say to you, Jason, the way he said it to us. Jamaica, zero. Canada, zero for 90 minutes. Uh, he said El Salvador, zero. Canada, zero for 90 minutes. Costa Rica, zero. Yeah. Canada, zero for 90 okay. minutes. So, so, so on the good that, side, on the good side, clean sheets across the board. On the bad side, no goals. <laughs> That's what we're getting. Exactly. He was talking about how, yes, it's difficult to to get the ball, but there's a one quote that I remember from the press conference is really telling. He's like, our players can't dribble. It's like when you look at El Salvador, from their goalkeeper to their striker, they can dribble the ball. Not us. We're not there yet. It, there's a different way of just being on the ball. That's what he 
was trying to explain to us that for him, he saw a great thing in that tournament. There was a constant progression. Yes, that tournament was uh, not easy because he's missing six big pieces. You're talking about uh, Atiba Hutchinson, uh, Mark, Nick, Diane. There's a lot of players that were missing for this game. Big, big players. And like Benito Flores said, missing one of them, any game, it doesn't matter. Your team will be good. Missing six of them, okay, we're not the same level then. Sure. And we know that the the amount of depth Canada is working with is, is certainly one of the issues. Um, there, there's talent there. I mean, that, that's, maybe that's where the hopeful message comes from. In addition to, uh, in addition to, hey, we, we're missing six of our best players, but, but, you know, to not score at all, Kevin, I mean, to not be able to find something off a set piece, to not create, you know, something, a tap in. I mean, last night, um, in that game against Costa Rica, there were several moments where it just, it was almost there was a force field in front of the net, and uh, Canada was uh, they didn't have the password, they didn't know how to get in there. We all saw that FIFA replay on uh, YouTube where there's about ten shots, and it founds any ways to hit the post, the woodworks, or not go in. That's what it looked like for Canada last night. It was uh, probably the most Canadian moment. Uh, that was your tweet on, on Twitter last night. I really appreciated it. He, it was crazy. It was like four shots in two seconds. It was easier to put it in the net, then next to it, and kind of found a way to, uh, it was Tissot on the ball, and then we met, missed a shot, couldn't put it on target. It, but I have to say, when you look at players like Tissot, who's slowly becoming a threat going forward, that's a breath of fresh air. Still not easy at all just to put shots on target for Canada. Uh, they can't finish. They have a really big lack of finishing in the words of Benito Floro, and we can all see it. We can all, we all have two eyes and watch the game. We can realize that they have trouble getting that ball in the back of the net. Uh, but it's something again to do with the dribbling and the uh, confidence on the ball. And hopefully that exit of the tournament doesn't hinder their confidence because they were going pretty well in the World Cup qualifying and they had a certain momentum. And hopefully that Gold Cup doesn't uh, take that momentum away. Uh, one player that uh, the Canadian fans were calling to, calling for to, to get some more playing time in this tournament and, and actually did get a start last night, Jonathan Osorio. And and then Floro takes him off um, with about, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes to go. I'm not even sure how much it was. And yeah, yeah, to, to put a defender when you absolutely need a goal. Yeah, yeah there was a, that was extremely an extremely confusing sequence, and I'm not sure what Floro was thinking in that particular case. Um, it, it's okay to put a defender on if you're going to push somebody higher or somebody who has some creative ability, but we certainly know... Osorio is one of the more creative players in in the Canada setup. What what exactly went wrong? Because it didn't seem as though Osorio had the influence people hoped he would. For some reason, there was a chemistry in the Dominica World Cup qualifier between Osorio, Laren, Tissot, and other players. There was a, a chemistry starting to build. And for some reason, that never transpired to the Gold Cup. You never saw the Laren play with Osorio the way they did against that Dominica home and away series. In, in Toronto, Cal Laren, I, I think that miss in that game actually really uh, hindered him. I think it played something with his confidence. And I think in the training sessions, he wasn't... Uh, focused the same way and he was not, he was not a factor in the game last night. And Canada needed a player like Cal Iron to step up to achieve bigger success in the Gold Cup than they were maybe uh, slotted in for. But without Cal Iron's presence, without Osorio's chemistry, uh, Osorio was actually, uh, he was given the cold short to Benito Flora, really not happy to be taken off at the 69th minute. He was literally at the end of the bench and 
back to everybody else. And you know, I was almost throwing a temper, a temper tantrum. But we need that. That's I, I was happy to see that from Osorio because that's what you need. Passion. You need to, to bring this team, Canada team, to... Uh, I'm not saying to another level because there's still a lot of levels left to reach, but to do a little one higher, you need that passion, that almost that little chip on your shoulder that you want to prove something wrong. You want to prove people wrong. And Osorio had that. Mm. Unfortunately, Cal Lauren needed to uh, bring that on the pitch and he wasn't a factor. Mm, yeah. The, the, the miss, the Cal Lauren miss um, that, uh, that everybody saw, certainly, uh, as you said, perhaps something that got into his head. Very tough situation for a young player still uh, learning his craft as a professional. Uh, let's talk about Floro and in more of a, you know, take it outside of the context of this Gold Cup in particular and, and raise it to the level of the overall program and, and Floro's direction and leadership so far. I mean, when he takes the job, uh, we know he's got a pedigree of some type. I mean, certainly the type of pedigree that, um, you know, Canada should be happy to have, although you can make that argument, Kevin. And you can tell me where you fall on this, that, you know, Menino Floro arrives not knowing anything about Canadian soccer, not knowing anything about the players, not knowing anything about the culture and, and is, is thrown into the, to the fire, so to speak. How has he done and, and is he the right man for the job? There's a two part to that answer, Jason. First one, Benito Floro was almost a savior for Canadian soccer. When he came in, the boat was sinking. So he patched the boat. He put it back straight in the water. It's not sinking anymore. It's actually keeping up. Uh, level. Now that the boat isn't sinking, he's the one to restart the motor. That's what I'm asking myself. So he stopped the uh, bad confidence, the bad results streak two years ago Benito Floro. When he come, he restructured not just the men's national team, but go down to the U17, U20, U23, all the different levels. He structured the team, got new players into the group, scouted hundreds of players in the beginning. Well, there's not 500 players, Canadian soccer players, but he scouted Every single one of them in the beginning of his tenure to bring new players like Tissot, like uh, Becker, players that were not involved in the men's national team program before. He brought that in. Now, that being said, is he the just if you look at that just objectively, he's a man that's a little past his prime as a coach. He's not that young. He's a great mind, great soccer mind, though. And I think his uh, knowledge is necessary, maybe at a technical director position. But then you need a head coach that has a vision, a plan, a 10, 15-year plan to be able to bring this team to another level, bring this team to where it can not just talk about going to the hex, but almost every single cycle be in the X. I think that's the next level. That's what we need to do. And I think maybe somebody that has a, a different vision going forward, but that's compatible with Floro could be the guy to take over to that job. You know, what, where is, I think one thing that's tough for, for fans to do, Kevin is, uh, is step outside of, of the situation and, and identify where their, their country, where their, their, their program should be. I mean, you know, U.S. national team fans have this problem all the time. Is, are we, should we, how much further along should we be? Should we be challenging some of the best teams in the world? Or are we still, you know, fighting for Mexico, uh, with Mexico for, for CONCACAF? Supremacy. Are we supposed to be playing more progressive, proactive soccer, or is it okay if we play some of this defensive-minded counterattack style? Does Canada have a sense of where it should be? I think we have a sense of where we shouldn't be, and we shouldn't be lower than the countries that surround us. We shouldn't be lower than countries that has less resources and less impetus to have a great 
uh, soccer program. We should be higher than countries like Jamaica and El Salvador. Uh, right now, we might be higher than El Salvador. We're not higher than Jamaica. Canada's not higher than Costa Rica. But when you look at the reasons of why a national team program should be good, Canada's national team program should be good. But for some reason, it's, it's never flourished. And I think when you look at countries like Costa Rica, uh, and I look at the states, uh, the, our neighbors of the south, us, your neighbors from the north, we, we don't have the same resources. Your talent pool is way bigger. But in a way, we have to follow the blueprint. We have to follow where you're taking this. And that should be our goal. So I believe that Canada should be higher if it's not going to be easy to do it, and it's but it should be a goal. It sh- that's what they should be striving for. They should be wanting to beat the Americans, or at least be at the same level, the same conversation of level USA, Mexico, or at least Costa Rica and Panama. But for now, I'm not even sure it's there. So I think Canada is still uh, is trying to figure out that identity of where it should be. All right, the the last refuge of the frustrated fan when it comes to team performance is individual talent that we can get excited about. If our team is uh, if our team is laying eggs, at least we could say, oh well, that that guy played well, and here comes some talent, and we can be excited about the next generation. Give me the next generation of Canada, Kyle Aaron. Who else? Oh, Osario. Uh, there's a the Saint Ricketts. Him, he's not that young. He's he's a little older, but. What he brought to the table against Dominica, I'll go back to Dominica because that's when Canada scored a lot of goals. So that's probably when uh, we need to look at to get some hope. Becker, Kyle Becker, Laren. Becker needs more playing time. Uh, but I'll bring you to this. Uh, one thing Brinto Flo mentioned, you need players to play more. You need players to play consistent minute every single week. And to have one individual player to be better than everybody else, he needs to start regularly, if not every week in MLS. And we talked about Cal Lauren a lot, but Cal Lauren is one of the only Canadian players in MLS who consistently, day in, day out, gets some playing minutes with Orlando. And I think that, in a year from now, will bring Cal Lauren to a different level, but will bring this team as well, at the same time, to a different level, if that miss doesn't stay in his head for the next year. Well, let's uh, let's stop talking about it then, Kevin. If we stop talking about it, maybe he'll forget about it. Uh, you know, look, this is we know that the, we know what the limitations on Canada are. The, the the you know the difficulty of of building a program. The the CSA has long had struggles just uh, keeping them their own house in order. Now you have a, a coach who knows the game, but but maybe is trying to figure out Canadian soccer along the way. Um, it is a country very much like the U.S. or or Australia or any number of countries where soccer takes a back seat to a to a much more popular national sport. Um, I, I don't know. I I want Canada to improve. I'm I'm looking forward to a a future in which Canada is challenging for not just a hex spot but a Gold Cup title and perhaps a World Cup spot. I just don't know how far away. If you had to guess, if you had to gauge, Kevin, give me a, a sense of of what. I mean, people ask all the time. Will the United States win a World Cup in, in my lifetime? And I say, probably not. I don't know. I hope. W- what would you say about Canada just getting to the level of the hex again? I believe Canada will be in the hex. If not this cycle, the next one for sure. 2022 seems a great date for Canada just because it fits with the the age group that Canada has right now. And if you look six years in the future, it'll bring, well, seven, but we can go six. It'll bring more experience, but it's the same core group that if they stay together, if, if, if 
six years from now, they can probably qualify for the World Cup. And it's going to be a complicated World Cup with everything that happened in the 2022 process. So that could be interesting. But I believe Canada will be at the X for 2022. If they okay. make it out, I don't know. What's okay. really, for me, a important is that continuum progression. The one thing Benito Flora was saying is like, yes, the tournament, we did not have the best results. We did not score a goal. We did not play what you wanted. But even in words of David Edgar, this tournament, even though we had the same amount of points as in 2013, the way they went about it, their attitude, their chemistry, their uh, fun in the locker room, all those little intangibles together were in a different level for this tournament and players were proud. That's why when the last whistle last night, they all fell to the ground. They're like, wow, we're disappointed. We deserve better. We should have, we could have, but we didn't. And I think because of all those uh, intangibles together in 2022, they'll make it to the X. And I think in 2026, wherever that World Cup is, United States, Canada, who knows? Canada will be there. Well, that's an opti- optimistic outlook. I like it, Kevin. Now, the question is, uh, a- another question that I have, and, and I know last night the weather was, was a factor, uh, and I know BMO Field was originally constructed with the notion of being the, the, the country's national soccer stadium. Uh, but the attendance wasn't great in Toronto last night, and you have to wonder if maybe it's time to spread the wealth the way that the U.S. does and take this take this team around the country rather than playing most of the important games. I know in the in the Gold Cup that maybe that's not their call, but you you do have an opportunity with qualifiers and the like to to go play uh, all around the country if necessary. Is that is that something that that the CSA should be exploring? I think that is something that they should be exploring. If I go back to a couple of months ago, when there was an tournament that the Canadian Football League team will be jo- go, moving to BMO, there's talking about changing the surface, and then Benito Floro and the Canadian Men's National Team program talking about how. Well, we're going to have to go play to the other stadium that has grass. Well, that's Montreal. So we're looking at you, Montreal. Next time you have a Canadian men's national team game, fill the stadium. You'll get more of them. And I think you're absolutely right, Jason. They need to create more pockets of fans for this team than just in the greater Toronto area. If I remember in Montreal, when we do Voyager's viewers party, there's 10, 20 people. It needs to be more than that. It needs to, that culture needs to be bigger. And the best way to do that is to have game in your town is to put that program on the road to create stars of those players and create an identity of that program and how important it is just the way it does in the United States. Like you were talking about, they traveled that team from uh, Dick Sporting Goods Park in Colorado to uh, the college and go back to Chicago. Anywhere they get that crowd and they get that advantage, they use it. When Canada plays in Toronto, I don't think it's an advantage anymore because stadium is bigger, like you mentioned, the weather last night. But there's not that intimidating factor, and I think we need to travel to actually try to find it. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly that's that's a tough ask in a country with uh, in a first world country that has immigrants from around the world. Unless you're playing somebody with a very small immigrant population, you're, you're probably just going to have an outnumbered Canadian uh, crowd, which is always depressing. I mean, certainly for a U.S. fan, I've been there many times with. Uh, with uh, certainly with Mexico, but also with some other uh, Central American countries, and you know, if, if Canada plays Jamaica in in Toronto, uh, I think that crowd's probably mostly Jamaican, or at least uh, half and half in, in the end. So, how do you where where is that spot? And really, you know, you don't want to have to do that. But if there is a place in the country where you say, okay, if we show if we show up here, we can get twenty thousand, and that twenty thousand is going to be largely Canadian fans who are pulling for Canada and giving us a home field advantage. 
you need to go in Edmonton and those areas where that game will be important and you can get that patriotic aspect out and make something out of it. We saw it happen in Edmonton. We saw it happen a couple of times during the Women's World Cup. It was intimidating. That crowd was something. And I think Vancouver could be a good possibility for that too. Okay. So I mean, look, at, th- at this point, Kevin, the the tournament, the Gold Cup tournament is over for Canada. They're now back on the sidelines trying to get themselves together for qualifying, which I, I I'll, this is not me being some, you know, prima donna American, so some superior American. I just don't even know what's going on with qualifying right now because obviously the United States is not involved. Uh, you mentioned Dominica. Give me a sense of what's next for Canada. Next is a home and away series at the end of August, beginning of September, and around f- uh, three, uh, round four of CONCACAF qualification, uh, just before the first round robin before the axe. So it's a home and away series. The winner goes to the group stage, which is a four group uh, round robin. And then the top two moves to the X, 16. So that's where we are right now in the qualification process. Canada won very easily uh, the home and away series against Dominica with a great performance at BMO Field a couple of a month ago. But now heading into this September, Benito Flor was talking about after the game, he's happy with the Gold Cup because he did not treat the Gold Cup as just the Gold Cup. He treated the two as a continuation, as a preparation, and as a camp for the World Cup qualifiers. In his words, he doesn't have the team for more than three, four days at a time, and he needs to be have more than that. So in his planning, when he looked at the World Cup and where it was in the calendar compared to the World Cup qualifiers, he used that to create almost a residency type, almost a, a, a training camp. He has a players for two weeks with him. Why not use it to explore to change things to practice together to have uh, quality training sessions and he used 67 percent of the world cup qualifier roster for the gold cup to maintain to continue that momentum and hopefully he was right but that's where canada is right now for the world Cup qualifiers this uh fall against uh the draw hasn't been done yet but it's going to be a home and away series against uh probably uh, a team of the level of el salvador if not a little lower Okay, fair enough. Um, the uh, teams involved, just to give a sense, in this third round, as you said, the draw is not has not happened. It's gonna the draw will be held on July twenty fifth um, in Russia because that's where the next World Cup is. Jamaica, Haiti, El Salvador, Canada, Guatemala, Antigua and Barbuda, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines, Belize, Aruba, Nicaragua, Curacao, and Grenada are your uh, your ten teams involved. Or sorry, that's uh, twelve teams involved in the um, third round, and the uh, so Canada will get drawn uh, against one of these teams. I imagine one of those bottom half teams, the last si- the last uh, six that I mentioned, um, and have an opportunity to move into the fourth round, which is where the uh, U.S. and Mexico and uh, and Panama and Costa Rica all join in. Now, y- you know, talking about the Gold Cup and the way Benito Floro treated it. This the, the the question, the internal question for a coach like Benito Floro, who has a program that no, he knows is probably going to need an additional cycle. First of all, is he going to see this team all the way to 2022? Probably not. Uh, so he's got to do a lot of work. He knows this is going to be finished by him. But he also has to balance out winning now and trying to bring some positivity to the program and some success to the program. And let's get, you know, let's, let's actually get a couple wins under our belt. Let, maybe they should put in a good showing at the Gold Cup. Therefore, let's bring our best team which may be an older team at the expense of bringing in some of the younger players or the next generation and i know canada part of canada's problem is that that next generation and this is true for a lot of countries they're not necessarily playing 
professional minutes. So that's a, that's an issue as well. How did he do? How would you? What grade would you give him? And you said sixty-seven percent or whatever it was. Give me a sense of of his grade over the mixing in young enough players that they'll have experience for the next cycle, as, as opposed to you know win now. Let's get in some of our older our older veterans. I think with the fact that Patrice Bernier were not capped for this Gold Cup, other veterans were not even called in for that. I think it shows that he really wanted the young guns to get some playing minutes, to get some experience. And he was willing to sacrifice the tournament to get those players' minutes. That's how important it is for them to play in just together, just to play for Canada together, just to play with that red shirt on. It's so important to get those playing minutes that he is willing to sacrifice a biannual tournament for them to play more games than he did before. The one thing Canada has done since Benito Floro has been here is play more games. They've taken advantage of every single FIFA date. Every single time they can get the team together, they do. Because Floro knows, and you said it perfectly, he's not going to see this them out. But he has the, the, the mandate to put this team on the right track and just watch them bloom after he's done with the team he so the next coach is probably going to be have a, a an easy job because he's going to have the groundwork done for him he's just going to have to follow that vision follow the, if it's a right vision that's another question but he's going to have to follow that through and i think that young group that we have now i'll just take the tiso laren and osorio it, it, it really gives a great uh ex- example of this core group those three players together will grow for the next six years. And if they get consistent playing time, experience, they'll bring this team to a level level that we never signed Canada. But for that to happen, we need somebody to keep that vision. Now it's been two years with the same vision. We're seeing progress. We need to continue to four years and eight years. We need to stop always changing. And I think that's really important. Stability going forward. Keep it on the young guns. We don't even need to go back the uh the I don't want to say the old generation, but the older generation because those minutes are worth something, and you might as well give it to the young guns because there was a forgotten generation. Let's not create a new one. Let's get those players on the pitch, on that ball. And I'm talking about the, the Osorios, the 20 years old. Get them on the ball and keep them there. Um, I believe uh, it's a good question here from Jose, asking if Canada can still get into the Copa America should it take place next year. Uh, if I'm reading this correctly, based on the qualification process, doesn't seem likely. That Canada is going to make to the Copa Centenario, Copa America Centenario. No, there. Uh, I know there was. If you win this Gold Cup, you're automatically in. There's another a playoff barrage playing game that will take place. I just don't know what it's for sure the qualification for, but there is a playing game to get into the Copa Centenario. To see if Canada will get there, it's going to be really hard, but there is another way to get in. Okay, so right now the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, and Jamaica are qualified. Uh, the two places will go to the winner of the Gold Cup if they're not already qualified. I find it very unlikely one of those four teams won't win the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, or playoff winners among the top four finishers not already qualified. That's I I don't think that can be I, I don't that can't be Canada. You've got four teams that aren't already qualified that'll be. And then the last spot is okay. So. I get there. Canada's out. As far as I can tell, Canada's out of of next year's. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, okay. So it's actually already. It's already giving me. It, this is already saying that El Salvador, Guatemala, 
Guatemala, Panama, Cuba, Haiti, and Trinidad and Tobago are the six teams that have a chance to get into the Copa America Centenario. So that's just your answer to your question, Jose. All right, Kevin Laramie, uh, you can find him at uh, Off the Woodworks. Where else, Kevin? Uh, com. You can read my article, get all the shows, all the same place, and kevinlaramie.com for any information or all the shows that I do. All right, there you go. Appreciate the time, Kevin, and best of luck to Canada in the future. Thank Jason. They need it, but always a pleasure to All talk right, to you. There we go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get those phone lines open and talk to you on a Wednesday. How do you feel about the USA in the Gold Cup right now? Saturday's looming. Group C to be determined. Don't even know their opponent yet in the quarterfinals. Be right back. This Saturday, the U.S. men's national team will play in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup and will be two steps away from reaching the final for the sixth consecutive tournament. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me as I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions during the game live on Rabble.tv. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. With Rabble, you can listen to my broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Will Jurgen Klinsmann be able to get this U.S. team firing in all cylinders again? Find out this Saturday, July 18th at 5 p.m. Eastern, and cheer on the red, white, and blue with me, live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Phone lines are open, 646-832-3909. Whatever is on your mind on a Wednesday. Check in with Pablo in D.C. What's going on, Pablo? Hey, Jason. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Good morning. I'm well. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. Hey, it caught to talk about the U.S. Gold Cup, but before I... Making my comment, I want to ask the big question. Are you coming down to Baltimore? I am not. Uh, I had thought about trying to make up, make the trip up to Baltimore for the quarterfinal, and just things didn't come together. And it ends up uh, being that I'm going to be on the mic with Rabble.tv, so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a call of that game from my uh, lovely little studio rather than uh, attend it. I, it. It's close enough that I probably should be able to go, but... You know, they got to be lots of moving pieces, lots of people to be responsible to, and it just didn't happen. To invite you, you know, to our tailgating or something like that, but I guess it'll happen next time. Maybe, yeah, maybe, the, maybe yeah. you should make it down to the U.S. Peru game in RFK in September. Well, I've got, well, that absolutely. Somebody's also trying to get me to go to the final, the Gold Cup final, and let's presume, presume the United States is there. I would love to be there in Philadelphia. I think that's the 26th of, uh, of July, so maybe. Maybe I'll make it out to a U.S. game uh, before the end of the summer. It'd be nice. It certainly would be. Pa- Pablo, you there? Okay, we've got an issue with Pablo's phone. Discussion. Oh, well, the, the worst delay in the in the world. Call back, Pablo. I apologize. I didn't know if you were there. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Uh, if you're going to call in, also make sure you're not listening to yourself while you're talking to me. That will get you confused and create a big delay in where I think that you're not on the line. And then I drop you, and I'm uh, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. All right. Um, 646-832-3909. We can talk about Freddie. Freddie Dew, who uh, is now a Tampa Bay Rowdy. Uh, the reports are that he's not making a ton of cash down there in Tampa, that it's not about that. Uh, clearly, at this point in his career, at 26 years old, he's the guy that needs a stable environment with a coach who understands him, believes in him, knows him. Certainly, Thomas Rongan knows him. Uh, he's, had, he's run through a, a, a string of clubs where it was more about Freddie Adu, famous guy, than it was Freddie Adu, soccer player. And that's not to say he was, he was good enough to play, good enough to get into teams, good enough to stick around. But clearly, there was a burn, uh, you know, a, a, a tournament burnham kind of attitude when it came to Freddie Adu. Let's go to, back to Pablo. Sorry, Pablo, you got to be a little quicker. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was. I wanted to talk about the, you know, the discussion going on with the central defenders with the U.S. And granted, I entirely agree with every, all the critics saying, you know, the, the the Brooks and Alvarado and you know, pairing has not been not even close to being good. Um, and you know, it, and it ends up making a default of blaming Klinsman for you know alternating or rotating uh, uh, central defenders, which I think is a good a good uh, argument and also it's been criticized of not keeping consistency with these two players. But I want to remind people that the U S has, you know, people are going to disagree with me, but has never had a world-class central defense pairing. I mean, we, with, in the back, the Bruce Arena days, Bob Bradley, he, there would be continuity uh, with, you know, the Boca Negras on Yeru tandems or other tandems. And there was still, every, you know, during the world cup, we always remember everyone blaming the U S uh, central defenders for a lot of mistakes they've done there. So, you know, I think this issue, until we develop, you know, strong, world-class defenders, we will always be struggling with having the strong defensive uh, uh, central defender tandem. And maybe it will change now with, uh, what's his name, Cameron Vickers. Apparently there was a report that came out saying that he's the next Ledley King for Tottenham. And, and you know, and maybe uh, Brooks getting, you know, older and more experienced. And Niaz got enough. But we just have to know that based on the level of our players, we will not have a world-class uh a central defendant pairing for at sure. least one or two years. But that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean we just point. we that doesn't mean we just throw out there whatever we've got and, or, or we throw out the youngest pairing and say, oh, well, we're not going to get a world class pairing anyway. Might as well go with the kids. I mean, I, I think that if you're trying to win games, you want to you want to put you know you want to put out there the the least mistake prone tandem you've got. You want to put together a tandem that can and, and look. It depends on your opponent as well. If I've got somebody who. Uh, you know, prefers to cross the ball a lot. Then I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Omar Gonzalez because he's got uh, he's got a great ability to win balls in the oh, air. So I mean, you know, what I'm saying. Do you, you know, remember Omar Gonzalez? Do you remember Omar Gonzalez during the qualifying uh, uh period? Everyone, you know, freaked. That's why uh, Clinton benched him. We're all like, oh, he's not good enough. He's making all these mistakes. He was getting beat in set pieces. You know, like so. It's not that he's perfect either. I mean, we we already saw what the issues that he had, and Beesler had some issues too, and he hasn't been playing. You know, at a great level. So, I mean, I don't think there's a great option right there right now. And you're right. The youngest player is not the, mo- the best option. And I don't think that, you know, Aventura Alvarado is, is there yet. Not even close. But it's not that we turn around and there's, you know, it's always the grass is green on the other side. But when you look at it, it's, it, these other defenders have had the same issues in the past game, you know, cycles or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't deny that. There has been a lot of defensive issues over the years for the Americans and, Again, I guess you just select the the best of a bad lot and you move on, right? I guess so. I'll get better. I know I'll get better. You know, Ventura, if he gets minutes with the Club America, I'm sorry, the level of competition is better for him than, than uh, Omar Gonzalez in Galaxy, but he's not getting those minutes. So you're right. I mean, he's not the best option right now, I think. 
But maybe in the you know maybe in next year he'll if he gets some some points and maybe that's what Clinton is trying to do to convince the Club America coach that you know he could he should start uh, starting to play uh, Ventura Alvarado. I mean. Uh, I don't know. You know, they, I don't know what's in his head. Sometimes. Well, I've so, also yeah. I've also heard it argued. I've also heard it argued, Pablo, that uh, that Alvarado, the system he plays in at Club America, which uh, is is something approaching the three five two or five three two, whichever way you want to note it, covers up a lot of Alvarado's deficiencies, and that they then those deficiencies show up when he's pushed into a four man back line with three central defenders, or sorry, two central defenders rather than three, uh, with a four four two that the United States plays. Yeah, no, it's true. It's just, like I said, there's all these arguments uh, to make pro each of the defenders there, even the Gonzalez, Reims, everyone, and against them. Uh, I just don't think we have a quality pairing there and, um, and the, you know, right now at this moment, but hopefully that will change in the coming years. Yep. I appreciate the call, Pablo. Thanks a lot, man. Okay. Well, Thanks. Bye. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Um, we got the we've got uh, the Gold Cup, the U.S. Men's National Team again heading into a quarterfinal on Saturday against a, an undetermined team as of this moment. Still waiting to find out who that's going to be. Uh, we've got some of these things sorted out: Mexico, Trinidad and Tobago tonight, um, Guatemala, and um, the other team in that group who I'm blanking on at the moment. That would be, uh, oh, I don't have it in front of me. Who's Guatemala, Mexico? Trinidad and Tobago, and um, Cuba. Just it just went out of my head. Just trying to keep all this stuff straight. So the uh, the Cubans and the Guatemalans tonight, and then Mexico and Trinidad and Tobago. The uh, the winners. Uh, the those games will determine the last couple of spots in the quarterfinals. Right now, you have the United States playing the Group B slash C third place team to be determined. Haiti and Jamaica and the other quarterfinal on that side. Group C winner, which could be Trinidad and Tobago, could be Mexico against Panama. And then the winner, the runner up of that, of that group facing off against Costa Rica. We could conceivably have a Costa Rica Mexico quarterfinal, which would be absolutely stunning, uh, considering the, the way this tournament usually goes. All right. I, I'm, I'm afraid to take this call. I'm going to do so anyway. Jose in Texas. Jose, I know what you're going to bring up here. I haven't had a chance to look into it, which is why I haven't addressed it. But go ahead. No, it's it's fine. I appreciate you taking my call. I know I've been tweeting you probably more than I should uh, while I'm at work, but I decided that I was going to give you a call because I've been I've been a little worried for my Montreal Impact. I was really excited when Saputo bought his uh, Serie B team, Bologna, and then they went into Serie A. I was I was thrilled. I thought perhaps it was going to be a great. Uh, you know, a great partnership to have, and I'm still a bit uh, confident that it that it will be. However, um, clearly part of the contract and part of the agreement for bringing Lawrence Man, which is arguably the best defender in the MLS, was that they were going to take care of his autistic daughter. And um, he still had a three-year contract in Belgium. Um, they they decided to break that uh, contract in Belgium to bring the guy to Montreal, and now he is complaining that Montreal gave them their word and they've not hold their end of their deal, and it is very disappointing. Saputo is in Bologna. Yesterday there was an interview with uh, Simon's wife where she says she is very disappointed with the way Montreal have been going about this situation, 
And I'm just very disappointed. And uh, whatever light I can bring to this, I think is is good um, on my end. Where did you see this interview, and, and where is uh, some of this stuff coming from? Well, I mean, essentially, the hashtag IMFC has been blowing up on Twitter, and and they've and also the hashtag Simangate. Everybody has been very disappointed. I think it was uh, the equivalent of ESPN in Canada. I remember what the name is, um, RSN, or whatever, whatever it is. And uh, and Simon said clearly that they gave him their word as far as how they were going to take care of his daughter, and they haven't done so. Now, I, I'm not an expert in Canadian healthcare, nor do I intend to be, but, uh, you know, there's a, there was some sort of misunderstanding and if breaking a contract in Belgium was part of this uh, deal for bringing him here, I, I clearly think that had it not been for this deal and they had brought, it, brought him here, he would have been signed as a DP. So there's some iffy things going on. I feel very disappointed as an Impact fan. Uh, something needs to happen and some Saputo needs to come back to Montreal and deal with this. Um, it certainly doesn't sound good from what you're saying. I, I did take a quick peek at Simon Gate. There's some tweets. Now, the, this is part of the issue, Jose, that, that, that we run into when it comes to Montreal. They, they, they get isolated. The impact get, get separated from the rest of the MLS pack because of the language barrier. Um, and I know they do some things in English, but clearly a lot of their fans are speaking French and, and conversing in French. Right. And, and, and <laughs> sorry. So, no, no, it's, it, and you know what? I'm, I'm just pointing out, like, if this deserves to have a, better, a, a, a brighter spotlight put on it, I'm absolutely willing to do that. The issue is that it has, it, it, it takes you being on Twitter, tweeting at me in English to point out things that are happening in front. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's obviously a convoluted pr- right. path to getting this, the proper attention. This is an interesting, uh, development because it's not more than a couple of days since. Hold on a second. I'm going to I'm going to find out when this was uh, when this was actually posted. It's not more than a couple of days since uh, the last Laurent Simon went to Montreal and put his family first. Blah blah blah. Story came right, out. There was a beautiful. There was a beautiful story. Heartwarming story uh, by MLS.com and and. Uh, and it was talking about him, the person, more so than him, the player. And, uh, you know, and just to have this happen a few weeks after that is is pretty disappointing. And I, I agree with you that the spotlight is not really on Montreal too much. I, I do think that, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I'm not, there is not a single game that is broadcast uh, in the U.S. that is not on on the, you know, the specific deals. But as far as Fox and ESPN and, and um, UNIDCL, there's not a single Montreal game um, that is broadcast. So, uh, and and there are some good players. I, I don't think that you know there's a lack of market. I, I think Montreal has a good enough team that people would tune in and watch, especially the rivalry with Toronto and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'm just disappointed with the situation. I'm I, I hope that Saputo takes care of it, and uh, you know I'm just trying to bring light to it. Um, and hopefully, like I said, they just managed to deal with it. Well, I appreciate you bringing it up, Jose. It bears watching. I mean, obviously, I don't have any particular insight into what's going on in Montreal or what they promised Simon that they're not delivering. Uh, but if that is the case, I mean, I don't want this to be 
you know, obviously you're not doing this, but we have to be careful about about uh, equating this to the entirety of MLS. Oh, the Montreal Impact aren't living up to their deal with Laurent Samal. Then that must mean all MLS teams are terrible and are turning, you know, are are, are um, not living up to their promises. That's not necessarily the case. But if they get, right. if they if they got Simon to Montreal under false pretenses and then are failing to deliver. On all of those those elements of, of that deal, then and and again, may, some of this may have been under, you know, it might not be legally binding. It may be a handshake situation. Come come to Montreal. We've got lots of facilities. The Canadian health system is very good for these kind of things. We'll help you out if that's the case. And they're not living up to that end. Then clearly they should be called out for it. And Simon should be. I mean, it's tough because Simon, probably, you know, he probably feels loyalty to his teammates. He wants to win games. He's a competitive guy. He's played very, very well, as you said this year. Maybe he doesn't want to rock the boat, but if this is something that's a problem, it deserves a spotlight. I appreciate it, Jose. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank uh, you so much. You I appreciate it. Let me turn back to this. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday. The Senate subcommittee hearing on the FIFA corruption scandal, some of the things that are happening uh, around the FBI's investigation into FIFA corruption. And the word that there is a subcommittee hearing that will be held to discuss these things and that U.S. soccer has been asked to send a representative. Now, they've asked specifically for Sunil Gulati, and U.S. soccer has said, no, thank you. There's a story by Brooke Tunstall over at American Soccer Now that addresses this very topic. Why won't Sunil Gulati appear before the U.S. Senate? Uh, in it, he outlines that Dan Flynn, the general secretary and CEO of U.S. Soccer, who does handle the day-to-day business of the Federation, is much more involved, hands-on, um, you know, any given day than Sino Gladi ever will be, is going. He will be answering questions. And while that is probably, he's, well, well, Dan Flynn is probably a, a strong candidate, a fine person to speak on behalf of U.S. Soccer. He is not the figurative head of, of U.S. soccer. He's not the, the official head of U.S. soccer. That is Sunil Gulati. Why is Sunil Gulati not going to this, uh, to this, uh, hearing? Uh, Brooke and American Soccer Now inquired w- with, uh, with U.S. soccer as to why Sunil Gulati's not going and he got no response. Uh, so, what, uh, this has, you know, what, what U.S. soccer has to say uh, about this, nobody knows yet because they are not speaking. They are sending Dan Flynn and that seems to be it. Um, I, I am, maintaining that this is a bad look for U.S. soccer not to send someone, not not to send the boss, not just send Dan Flynn fine. If you believe that he is better uh, equipped to speak on these issues, fine. But you should also send Sunil Gulati because he is ultimately responsible as the president for the direction of the organization, for the organization's uh, associations with people like Chuck Blazer, and Jack Warner. He sits on the executive committee of FIFA. He's got, he is the one who is involved directly in FIFA governance as U.S. soccer's president. So why is he not going to this Senate subcommittee hearing? Now, he's not been subpoenaed. There's no laws being broken, but this will be on the official record as, as the Senate looks into the issue of FIFA corruption. Why wouldn't you want to have Sino Gladi there? Makes no sense. Definitely a bad look. 646-832-3909. Phone lines open. Did we talk about Jurgen Klinsmann swapping out three players yet for the Gold Cup? Did we talk about that already? I know I did it on the headlines. Altidore, Morales, and Garza out. 
Gordon, Corona, Beasley in. Now, I think the Altidore swap is interesting, if only because Jurgen Klinsmann has seemed so committed to Josie Altidore over the course of the last four years. To see him leave camp and to see somebody like Alan Gordon come into camp is a very interesting development. Alan Gordon has a very specific set of skills. He is big and he's tall, and you can hit him in the head with a ball, and he might score a goal. He is strong. He will hold the ball up. Will he be effective at it at the international level? Remains to be seen. But at this point, it's sort of difficult to argue that he's not an upgrade over Josie Altidore. Josie Altidore's hold-up play wasn't meeting the standard, and he wasn't putting in the effort. Now, he may still be suffering from that hamstring, hamstring injury he picked up last month, and is not fully fit yet. But that is just another reason to say thanks for your service. Time to go back to your club. We're going to bring in somebody else. And I had somebody arguing with me on Twitter that we have certainly progressed from the Bob Bradley era, if only because players like Connor Casey are not getting called into the team to win important games. Well, what does it say about the progression since the Bob Bradley era? and into the Jurgen Klinsmann era, that players like Alan Gordon are getting called into the team. Now, he hasn't played yet. He may not play. I actually think he will. I think he's going to play some role in this Gold Cup. Probably for the good, if he gets on the field for any long stretch of time. I, I He has, a, like I said, a specific set of skills that may be effective in this tournament. But you can't tell me that Connor Casey being part of Bob Bradley's setup is a bad thing or an indication of where we were at the time, but Alan, Alan Gordon's inclusion in Jurgen Klinsmann's team is not. Of course it is. Have we progressed since Bob Bradley? Probably some. It's a deeper team. Are we better at the top level? It's a different question. Alfredo Morales leaving had a, a, an okay game against Panama. Didn't think he did too much, uh, too much great and didn't do too much terribly. Uh, he leaves for Joe Corona, a fine player, a younger player, a player, well, not a younger player than Morales, but a young player that I like. Uh, Greg Garza out, had a howler against Haiti, was absolutely terrible, um, was otherwise okay, had some moments. Um, he comes out, uh, leaves the, the, the team. DeMarcus Beasley come in, comes in. DeMarcus Beasley, who not that long ago retired from international duty, is now back in the team. Uh, says something about maybe about where they are at the left back, situ- uh, the left back set, uh, position excuse me and we'll see if uh, demarcus plays if demarcus plays he may free up fabian johnson to play in the midfield or on the right if you there's not a person out there listening to me right now who doesn't believe timmy chandler should not play one more game in this tournament if you get demarcus beasley on the left side and that's a competent figure at that position you can swap fabian johnson to the right shore up the right hand side and uh, not just at the back but going forward as well all right, the phone lines have died, and we're going to get ready for the Sirius XM show coming up in just a couple of minutes over on Sirius XM FC 94. Got the Gold Cup tonight, big matches, Guatemala and Cuba. See, I remember that time. Trinidad and Tobago in Mexico. Well, can the Mexicans score a goal against Trinidad and Tobago? A much more dangerous team than Guatemala, but won't sit back as well as much. So perhaps Miguel Herrera's team figures it out tonight. I think there's one. Is there an MLS game tonight as well? Let's be honest, nobody's paying attention to MLS right now in the middle of the week. Chicago and Columbus tonight at 8.30. So there you go. That's a, that's the exact same time as Mexico and Trinidad and Tobago. 
So you're going to have to make a decision. Thank you very much to Kevin Laramie for talking to us about Canada. That was a good discussion. Uh, let's see. Hopefully Canada gets their stuff together at some point. Uh, appreciate it. Go to backheel.com slash store. Buy a mug. Got t-shirts. Doing the damn thing. I'm going to go shop on Amazon Prime. See you guys later. Bye.